All right, welcome to Office Hours. Today is September 6th, and uh, Peter, why don't you tell everybody what Office Hours is all about? Sure, Mike. Uh, Office Hours is a place for all of us to, for channel professionals to come together and ask our guests questions uh, and just learn a little bit uh, about, uh, you know, different tips and tricks and best practices uh, that are uh, currently in use channel. Great, and uh, we'll introduce our guest today, James Hodgkinson. You are the founder and, uh, and leader of Web Infinity. So welcome to the show, James. Hey, thank you. Nice to, nice to be here. All right, so we, uh, we work pretty closely with you, James. You know, that's no secret, uh, Web Infinity and Averitech partner together. But I thought it would be interesting for you to come on to Office Hours and tell a bit of your story of how you got started uh, you know, building applications in the channel space and, and share some advice of kind of things that you've learned by working with, with companies on these types of projects. So why don't we go uh, give it a start and say, uh, you know, how did you get started in this space and, and kind of pick it up from there? Yeah, sure. It was, it was all a, a bit of an accident, really. Um, I started a bedroom web development business in, in the UK um, the, in the late 90s. And after a couple of years of doing that, that we got a project with a, a company who at the time called Computer Associates now rebranded as CA Technologies based out here in, New, in Long Island and originally we, we started doing some work for the education team in the UK and it kind of snowballed into a whole load of other things uh, that we started to build for corporate. I ended up spending a lot of time over here in the US with a dedicated team and we, we built out really a whole partner management infrastructure for CA before this category really exists, there wasn't a PRM category. They, you know, there was no partner portal standards. There was no Salesforce, but there was still a need. And we had a some ambitious clients and leaders there who kind of drove my drove my team nuts. And we created all kinds of things in that period. You know, MDF tools, rebate management, POS, partner portal, PRM, and and the rest of it. So that's how we got started. And then from there, I spent a long time building a company up in that image, working for a small small volume of kind of high value clients and eventually um, the transition into web infinity and the the SaaS platform we have today so you know 15 years of my life that I never really intended to, <laughs> to to progress in that way but that's that's how these things work out and it's been a great ride well I think that's a common experience of course you know people kind of falling into things and then next thing you know it's been 10 or 15 years right and uh and Peter, your story isn't that different I think in terms of kind of starting off building uh, highly custom software applications for companies and then eventually productizing some of it and turning it into what you have now. Indeed. Um, I mean, and that, that's, that tends to be, I, th I think, a very common thing. It's like you build it for one person. You say, hey, if they had a problem, then somebody else probably has this problem too. And then you kind of go on from there. So, yeah, um, I was fortunate to have, you know, great mentors on the business side to kind of teach me the, the use of the application, right, and how, you know, the different uh, possibilities there. So, yeah, absolutely very common story. Now, I'm going to, uh, of course, you know, I'm sure your friends at CA are very understanding, but you said they were pains in the butt back in, uh, in the early days, James. What do you mean by that? Well, I think it was the greatest apprenticeship you, you could kind of ever have working at the sharp end with, uh, at the time, there was a, an English guy who's now involved in my business running the channel, a guy called George Kafkaku, and a guy called Chris Hickey who ran systems and tools and, and really had so many ideas and threw a hundred things at the wall and me and my team tried to make a lot of them stick and I think it was the best learning curve you could ever have even though at times it was beyond crazy and we were doing all kinds of hours and uh, lots of travel and, and just working at the sharp end. 
it was literally that kind of scenario where it'd be unit testing a system that would go live to 10,000 partners a day after. And it was that kind of crazy experience we had. So it was fun in lots of ways, but also, you know, extremely challenging and a really interesting ride. So I'll never, I always look back at that period with fond memories. Yeah, does that sound familiar at all to you, Peter? <laughs> it's the same thing. It's the run and gun. It's it's yeah, the he same calls story. it the sharp end in his in his eloquent British way. He says the sharp <laughs> end. I say it's the run and gun or the cowboy code, but you know it's the same same type of thing. It's 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 a lot of fun, but it's also frightening. Well, yeah. I think you know you're building software um, where you know if you were in an actual software company versus kind of being in a custom dev mode, you would have product management, which would be defining kind of. You know, who are we trying to build solutions for? What do we need to build for them? What should the features look like? All those kind of things. And then the development, you know, would build that inside of a software company. What I think is interesting in, in your experience, and again, Peter's kind of parallel example here, is that you've split that essentially where your customer is acting as product management and defining the feature set and how things should work. And then you're building it, trying to understand kind of the requirements as you build them and the, the audiences that you're building for. Um, and that, I think... You know, if you look at channel applications, that was necessary at the time for the categories of software and kind of those different types of products that you're building. Now that stuff is off the shelf or, you know, off the cloud, I guess you could say, right, because these things are available to the public. So um, as you're working with companies today, are you still finding a lot of kind of custom needs or do you think the off the cloud, off the shelf kind of stuff is, is largely suiting their needs? Well, you know, the, it's a great question and I think the the whole reason for being of web infinity and the platform we put together was this pretty rapid transition we were seeing away from this this way of doing things in the space and this prm category which was generally go out and build either custom build or you know use a platform that had a lot of different modular features and functions and at one stage i think we had seen that that was becoming unmanageable because there was so much good cloud software in the space, you know, so many great providers who were focused really well on, on their piece, whether or not it was sector specific or in generic terms like content management players and video services. And it was becoming pretty untenable to, to be the one provider of all of this stuff for, for the client. And we would get to ridiculous scenarios where my biggest customers would turn around and say, we've just seen analytics in Tableau. Why isn't your reporting engine as good as that? Or we like using Salesforce now for CRM, your, you know, your system doesn't have the field design capability. So, so we started to look at it a bit differently and said, well, this is going to become less of a website play in the end and less of a custom dev play and much more of a problem of augmentation and getting different tools and systems to work together. Um, and that's why we started to work on, on Web Infinity as, as kind of the next generation of, of PRM. And, you know, it's, it really has taken, we're taking on the problem in quite a different way today than we were 10 years ago, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, a lot of it's the build versus buy, right? You know, it's like if there is something commercially available that's going to meet the majority of our needs, we'll just buy it. Um, we'll only build if we have to, I think, is, has been the mentality. And things that, you know, 10 or 15 years ago you had to build because there was nothing in it in that category, now there are things that people can buy. So they'll build new things that eventually will become bought solutions down the road. I mean, Peter, is that kind of, you have a similar take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, with products like this or platforms like this, they, they do eventually evolve to the point where they have, a, you know, so many features that it pretty much suits almost every, um, you know, use case that a typical client would have, right? But I think, um, you know, what's also important is, 
you know, thinking about the future, right? So, you, you know, you have kind of two approaches to software. You can even, you can think about it like, well, this is a point in time and whatever we've got feature-wise is what we've got and whatever we don't know about we'll build later on down the road. Or you can architect it in such a way where things just plug in, no matter what gets invented, whatever you can conceive of today, no matter what comes down the road, you can just plug it in. And so I think there's kind of two schools of thought. So James, how did you guys approach Web Infinity, you know, from an architectural standpoint, um, thinking about that problem? Well, you know, we started to look at what was going on in the consumer. And there was a reason why things were changing rapidly with the biggest brands and the consumer experiences. It was all really led by companies like Apple. And I would look at something like Apple TV as a, as a comparison. You know, there's, there's 20 million plus people who use that, but it's one code base, one system. It's completely normalized for the user because they're plugging in content from everywhere. And the content tomorrow may well be very different from the content today. You know, it's, I might be, I might love Netflix now, but I might want to swap it out for the next provider who appears or change my subscription or buy something else or use different apps or whatever. And it's becoming a converged experience now between television, games, apps, social tools, all the rest of it. So we spent a lot of time looking at what was going on there and started to think, you know, in the end, this is where the channel is going to end up. We're not going to use websites. We're not going to have drop-down navigation and fly-outs and 100 different forms to fill in. It's, it's going to be like this. Um, and plugging in stuff and making it all work together and normalizing experiences is, is going to be the future for sure. So we, so we wanted to get there as quickly as possible. And we spent a lot of time looking at that architectural model and what would it really take to do it and to do it without having to code the interface. Um, mm. And it's taken you know, nearly four years to get Web Infinity to a stage where we've made that connectivity real. Um, and we're really excited about it. So, so that was the architectural approach. You know, we spent a long time looking at the consumer world. So if I'm a typical channel marketer, channel sales leader, channel program leader, listening to this, and I don't really care about software architecture, right, because I don't actually want to own tools, right? I want to actually have my, I'm going to run my business, right? I want to focus on my, my company and my channel. I don't want to deal with tools. What should they take away from, from kind of the experiences, you know, James and Peter, about what you're describing, like, um, do you have advice on what they should look for when they're shopping for kind of channel tools, uh, things to avoid? What, what are your thoughts there to kind of make it relevant for the business side of things? Well, I, I think what you said there is the key. Um, it shouldn't be about technology or software. It, it's all about how do I execute on something I am trying to do to drive the business. And I think one of the problems I've seen again and again, and it's really frustrating, is that there is so much of a technology-led approach in PRM where people talk about we need to go and buy Salesforce or I like this particular vendor or I like this technology. And you end up with companies, particularly big enterprises, high-tech companies who are fo should really be focused on their products, their go-to-market strategy, their sales and marketing, but end up being like some kind of pseudo-development houses where they're trying to do all of this themselves. Now, nobody today would go and build their own CRM platform or try to replicate HubSpot or go away and try to compete with Brightcove or YouTube and still end up doing this in channel software development, a particularly partner. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Because we're, it's lack of maturity. I mean, I think people are still stuck somewhere between the website era where you had no choice other really than to go out and build a, a website. People get confused that this is a marketing project when really it's not. It's an enablement and business execution opportunity. It's different from your website. 
And some, for some reason, that's what creates the buyer's confusion. Now, I'm confident, 99 to 100% confident, that when we get through that, when people get to the realization, channel software will become a workspace and stuff that people use to actually do their jobs, not a marketing play, not a website, not a custom build. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're starting to find people who are agreeing with that more and more. And we're working with some companies who really got the vision to see that this digital engagement without friction that can be used to drive business outcomes um, without all these traditional headaches is going to really make a difference to the top line and the bottom line. It's not just a, a tech for tech's sake conversation anymore. So obviously you've got a horse in this race, James, but you know, if people are looking at things like PRM software, what do you think you know, are some of the things that they should be looking for or avoiding? Well, I mean, the, the biggest piece of advice I can give is do the basics well. So I think people get blinded by too much functionality, too many features, and start to look at the, 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 the checklist of stuff versus what am I actually trying to do. So if you think about what really makes the interaction work, it's, it's trying to get the, the most important things to work flawlessly in a way that's scalable and enables everybody to you know, to do it together without, without friction. So even a basic process like distributing a lead, registering a deal, providing the right content based on that deal, getting an account manager to be able to collaborate with a partner, often these things are not done well at all. And if you look at the, the solution provider experience, they go into 20 different manufacturer websites. They're all working differently. They've all got bugs. Some of the pages load really slow. So before you get carried away with all of the features and functions, focus on the basics, do it really well, bake in something that can scale and then go and you know and then go and solve your priorities in the order that they matter to the business which might be learning before marketing before mdf it's just you have to approach the roadmap with a bit of pragmatism i think and not, and not have unrealistic expectations on too much too soon mm -hmm. yeah peter you have some thoughts on that as well well i was just thinking about the the discipline that it takes to say no to a client when they ask you to build something. And this is a this is something that you go that you that it's a it's a curve, I guess. You know, like so you work for a client for a long time, you build trust with them, right? They they're you're you're the people that they call when, you know, they're stuck with something or whatever, right? You know, they they need, they need a creative solution. And, oh, these Web Infinity guys, you know, they always solve problems for me. And it's flattering. And you wanna and you wanna say yes because it's flattering and they're willing to pay you. But at the same time, you know, it it might take you off the sort of the mission, right? The mission is, you know, I want to have a, a you know, a, a solution that does this kind of thing. And for other people, they're going to be they're going to be a part of that ecosystem, but I'm not going to build that functionality. So how do you as the CEO of that company, you know, maintain that discipline and say no to your clients without, you know, compromising the relationship? Yeah, and, and it's it's a great question. And I think having done it and worked like that for a long time, um, you come at it from a position of experience and, and almost protecting your client against themselves, which sounds harsh, but you know, this is what you have to do. So one of the things that we've established with Web Infinity as a software as a service platform is there are clear boundaries now on what we do and don't do. And it's a single code base. Every client has input to that code base, but we don't custom build or bespoke change anything on the needs of, of one one client and I've stood up in front of my biggest customers and said we will not do that for the good of the platform and for the good of the uh, of your ability to leverage it because you know if we start taking it down these kind of custom routes it's it's not going to work anymore 
Um, but what we have also established is where we stop and other things start. So with Web Infinity, we have a plug and play framework, which enables us to say, look, if you're really trying to do that, guys like Aviratech are the best in the business. So go and talk to them. They have all this already worked out. They've invested thousands of hours in creating a world-class technology and it plugs in. Or if you want to go off and do something crazy, if you want to go and build your own tools, configurators, your Salesforce development shop, whatever, go do it and plug it in. So you can you can really get the best blend of this realistic hybrid between out-of-the-box software as a service that takes all the experience challenges away, existing SaaS vendors who are already out there, and then custom dev that you can do to fill the gaps. And that's, so then, that's so then you believe that, so then what's your answer to this, this point of view, which is, you know what, I just want one point of contact. Like, I'm a, I'm a, a VP of channels, I want one contract, I want one, I just want one person to call when things are broken. And I want to have to negotiate all these different purchase orders because what I hear you saying is, uh, you know, we do this really well. Go talk to these guys. Go build your own thing, whatever, if you want to do something that's off of that. So how do you respond to that? Do you think that's what the market even wants, I guess, is the question. No, I, I still think that's a lack of maturity in some ways in, in the understanding of, of this SaaS economy we're in. So I look at it even from the view of Web Infinity. We have got 16 different pieces of software as a service. I did an audit last week. You know, we've got Slack, HubSpot, Salesforce, Web Infinity. Uh, we've got paid licenses for Brightcove, YouTube. You know, there's a whole bunch of different pieces of software, GitHub, Receptive, whatever it is. So everybody's already in this position. And unless you feel you can compete with some of the global players in categories like learning management, and having the one throat to choke is just an unrealistic pipe dream. So if you buy PRM, you might get three or four or five or six modules, depending on the vendor you find, but it's still not going to solve that scalability problem, and it's not going to enable you to embrace this, this SaaS era. So we want to be the one throat to choke for the experience and be responsible for the face of your partner program and portal and your interactions with your back office. But we really believe the rest of it is about uh, scalability and plug and play. That's that's the key. So you're basically arguing that you know you don't take that approach with your business. Everybody's running Dropbox and they're running Slack and they're running Skype for meeting business. Whatever they're running all these different things, and no one expects Microsoft to do the entire thing. No one expects Slack to do the entire thing. Right. Correct. So it's unrealistic to apply that perspective to your channel as well. Well, absolutely, because half of the tools now that apply to partner relationship management aren't even in the category of PRM. It's it's the same services like content management systems, video services, collaboration tools. There's some fantastic software in the world. And if you box yourself into a narrow category of I'm a PRM vendor, I think you're limiting all kinds of possibilities. So to me, that makes it that, uh, you know, from a skill set standpoint, to be a channel leader today and into the future, uh, having an understanding of uh, some level of understanding of kind of systems and tools and how they work and how you future-proof for the needs of your organization. Or, um, you know, Peter and I talk sometimes about this, you know, people in channel tend to be head down in the channel and not really paying attention to the rest of marketing. You know, then you go look at the chief MarTech super infographic of thousands of software vendors that are in this, uh, you know, marketing uh, space today, you know, there's a, there's a whole world out there. So I think that that's, uh, you know, maybe a topic for us to follow up on is to kind of look more at like, what are, what are the skills that a channel leader needs to have to be able to be, at least from a business standpoint, uh, aware or kind of able to self-assess, self-diagnose, you know, what your needs are 
and then how to partner with software experts who are going to help you figure out what are the applications to get into it. Because nobody's going to know those couple thousand vendors that are out there, but you're right, there is a whole world of software out there. Why restrict yourself to just people who are in this uh, channel space? So, all right, well, we're almost out of time. James, I didn't give you the, the two final questions to prep, but we'll see if you can handle them in, in kind of a speed round at the end here. So, uh, so you're a busy guy, you're leading a team, you're trying to stay up on everything that's going. What do you use as sources of learning for yourself? How do you keep sharp and keep on the leading edge of, of what's happening in your space? Yeah, so I'm, I'm using a lot of video content now. I, I don't know if this seems to be, have been a very quick trend for all of us, but I, I find myself absorbing a lot of video now, um, whether or not it's this kind of content, you know, from people who are specialists in the space or it's, uh, you know, re recordings of talks or, you know, something that you can get your hold on it just from audio. I, I'm a runner, so I like to listen to an, a lot of audio. So I, I think that's becoming increasingly important, but also as we've focused on this best of breed, I've, I'm finding there's a lot of learning from peers. You know, I'm spending a lot of time with partners and consultants who are trying to understand, and there's a lot of give and take in those conversations. Um, so I think just being around the space and having this best of breed mentality and collaborative mentality you get a lot more exposure to what's going on and the market in general than if you're in a silo just competing with other people, and that's, that's helping. Yep. Um, and so the, the next question is, uh, you know, you mentioned you're a runner, so it could be something, maybe an app that you use for your running or you're listening, but what, it, what from an app or a tools or something to kind of help you keep organized or, you know, kind of app that you can't live without on your phone right now, what are you using that you would recommend to others? Yeah, I, I like there's some really simple stuff that, that's really great for me so i use a, a platform called todoist for notes which is which is a lifesaver um i i use, I use that one too yeah i mean it's just the simplest thing in the it's world great. but you just you know hubspot has yeah. become a standard for us in terms of crm and uh, interactive marketing and so on so and of course you know web infinity is the glue that holds it all together for me internally because i've got my apps all in, in one view so naturally <laughs> that's a shocker <laughs> what's your favorite running app or do you use something to kind of log your miles and all of that? So this this is the key to my fitness life. This is the Garmin Fenix 3, which is the best the best thing I ever bought. Um, Strava, I love. You know, that's what connects to this. So I use Strava. Um, yeah, that's those are, those are the two. Yeah, excellent. Good. All right. Well, James, thank you so much for, uh, for sharing some of your experience and some advice around kind of handling channel applications and what to think about. Uh, link to James's LinkedIn profile is in the, the side chat. If you have any follow-up questions or want to reach out and connect with James, I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. Uh, but with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up uh, the office hours today. And uh, thanks, James, for your time. And uh, we'll see everybody on our next show.